Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Somebody says, does it break? And another board member says, it better break eventually. Uh, and I just... Welcome to Recotopia, a happy home for recommended movies, shows, and music from two people you can definitely trust. Trustability varies by region, no guarantees implied. And now, here are your hosts, Aaron Dicer and Jeremy Scott. You could have died. It's not true. I guess it is. Quentin's brother died because he was walking in the same hallway. It wasn't safe anywhere. Definitely wasn't your fault. Why have you been so mad at me? Hello! Welcome, everybody. And I am on a different side of the screen than last week? I don't know. Oh, you you sneaky, sneaky host. Uh, welcome, <laughs> chatters. Welcome, listeners. Uh, today's big recommend, episode 75 of Recotopia, is The Fallout, the HBO Max original film. And uh, boy, it's a heavy one. I'm excited to get mm-hmm. into it. Um, but let's do some lighter stuff to start out the show with our usual small recommends. Aaron Dicer, my co-host. I'm Jeremy Scott. I keep screwing it up because I'm not used to being the the lead on a podcast. (laughs) Did you bring any small recommends this week, Aaron? It's no big deal. It's so small and light. It's small. It's tiny. It's petite. It's wee. Oh, I sure did. Uh, As per the huge for me, uh, one TV, one movie. We will start. uh, Let's start with the TV show uh, this week. A uh, new season of What We Do in the Shadows oh, wow. uh, has started uh, the first couple episodes. Um, what's most impressive to me about this show, which I came to a little bit late, I think towards the end of season two, I caught up and uh, started watching it because too many people had told me it's my kind of humor. Uh, very, very funny stuff. And they were right. I really, really enjoy how funny this show is. I enjoy what it's doing. It is at its essence, that thing where you take something that has been dark and scary and just create it as normal day to day, um, you know, satire slash humor. So vampires are now completely undermined by the fact that, you know, they have all the same foibles and, you know, weirdness and incompetence that a normal human may have. Um, the show is basically vampires. They're just like us. Uh, and uh, except for the extreme version of our own ignorance and stupidity. Uh, so it's been very, very fun in that way. But what I really love about it is the show's ability every season to kind of reinvent itself a little bit. Now, not so much that it changes what you love about the show, but with the ability to have this character have a different uh, take on it. For instance, there's a a a character in the movie named Colin who's not a normal vampire. Uh, He's an emotional vampire. Uh, And his whole thing is that he sucks the life out of other people by being boring and dull and drab. (laughs) And he's just that guy you know. Uh, So then last season, they had this whole plot for him uh, as he kind of went through some stuff. Uh, Guillermo kind of is the central figure of our attention in this season. So it kind of gives every character a chance to really 
uh, kind of play in the spotlight uh, out of the shadows, so like to speak. Like Lost used to do with episodes, it's doing with seasons. <laughs> sort of, yeah. I think that's fair to say. But uh, really, really enjoying it. If you haven't watched any of what we do in the shadows, it is on Hulu. It's FX on Hulu. All the seasons are there. It's a quick watch, quick catch up, uh, and it's a lot of fun. I <sighs> have not seen the movie or the show. Mm -hmm. And I have heard the same thing you have, that it is the kind of thing I would really enjoy. And I really have two lists of shame, um, one that I think I will actually get to and one <laughs> that seems more That's fair. impossible. And this mm -hmm. is the one that I think I'll get to, but you just pushed it a little bit further up the top. All right, cool. Um, cool. I'm sorry, soft drink fans. Both my small recommends this week are films. Uh, mm. I'm going to start out with the 2014 Draft Day starring Kevin Costner, Jennifer Garner, Chadwick Boseman, and Frank Langella. Uh, it's a 60 on Rotten Tomatoes, and and I'm curious to know uh, the Chad and Aaron's opinion on, on this movie because it's I can't tell you why I like it. I can't put my finger on it. It's, it may simply be the mystique of Kevin Costner sports movies that always seem to be compelling. Um, maybe it's the inside baseball look at the draft process. Um, inside football, but inside yes. Inside football, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is kind of like a soap opera in the way the characters are drawn uh, and interact. Uh, everything is a big interaction, but I just really, really enjoyed it. Uh, I've seen it probably seven or eight times now. It was on last week and I watched it again. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, if you haven't seen it, give it a look, give it 20 minutes, see if it does something for you. I get the feeling by his face that Aaron really doesn't like this movie, um, <laughs> but uh, maybe he's just smiling because he's... Because that's what I do. That's what he does. Uh, have you seen this movie? Uh, yes, I've seen this movie a couple times. Uh, really enjoyed it both times. Uh, I think I think what you're trying to put your finger on is the fact that it's one of those movies where if you separate yourself from your view of the movie, you can go from like a, a higher angle. You can go, um, I don't think this movie is like everything I usually like or that it's, you know, that it's not exactly, you know, there are pieces that if I start to think about it, fall apart or whatever the case may be. But when you're watching it, you find yourself invested in the performances, the characters and the plot. And really, if a movie can get you invested in the performances, the characters and the plot, you're probably going to have a good time yeah. uh, And that yeah. other stuff can kind of flow away. I think this movie ends really well. I, I, I it's ridiculous, but oh, how, yeah. but how many movies do I love that have ridiculous endings? And this is, you know, one of them that I like that has a ridiculous it's like ending. The screenwriter so. said, "How many first round picks do you think somebody would actually trade in an extreme scenario?" And then he added another one. That's um, mm -hmm. absurd. Everything about the trades is completely absurd. Right. Uh, but I do love. The manipulation between the GMs, they're all trying to manipulate each other. Uh, and Costner just carries himself in a way that when he when he owns them at the end, you really want to cheer. I, I agree. I, I think it ends really well. Uh, anyway, draft day right now. If you want to watch it, it's on Max HBO Max. I really don't like calling that Max. Um, <laughs> But I guess eventually I'll the, get used to it. Go with the it. full title, Max, the place for HBO. Uh, that is, is that really the, what it is? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, <laughs> I've heard that joke made. Um, um, do you have a second small recommend this week, sir? I do. And before we get there, uh, shout out to the chat who is looking up my letterbox scores for all the movies we talk about. So nice. they, can, they can compare. I gave Draft Day a three out of five, which okay. is in the that positive. Seems fair. Um, uh, but just barely. So, yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> like, this has become a thing now. Right. I'm, I'm never going to have a letterbox. Uh, all right. Let's, uh, let's head on to my movie recommend, small recommend for the week, and that is Asteroid City. Speaking of things you're never going to like or never going to uh, do, uh, Jeremy and I have, re have had recent conversations about Wes Anderson, uh, which is uh, how I know this. Uh, I've heard this. I've heard this movie described as the most Wes Anderis, Andersoniest movie to ever Wes Anderson. I disagree hmm. fully with that observation. I actually think that's French Dispatch. I actually think French Dispatch is like the most he's ever been that definition of himself. This movie feels a little different for me in that I feel like he's. He's taking what he's done with kind of how he structured his recent movies where like, you know, French Dispatch was a, Dispatched was a, a magazine and, you know, Grand Budapest Hotel was a book. And like, you know, there's these these underlying structures that he's added. 
In this one, that underlying structure is a little bit uh, deeper ingrained into the storytelling in a way that it almost feels like Wes Anderson directed a Charlie Kaufman movie oh, wow. um, at times, which I found not only fascinating, but really interesting and pleasurable to watch. Um, there are moments where uh, there are characters I don't think this is too spoilery because I'll kind of talk around it, but there are characters who have been cut from the movie that had scenes cut from the movie that are telling other characters about the scene they had cut from the movie. And it's so interesting because it's this layer of having somebody talk about a character's emotion instead of actually emoting it, which when you really think about it is kind of what Wes Anderson characters usually do. They're mm. not really emoting a lot. They're just kind of saying the words. Mm. Um, and I just, I think he's found a really interesting way to let the emotion of a story exist because of the factual information and not necessarily the uh the exaggeration or exorbitance of the performance which i find um really really interesting so uh asteroid city i really enjoyed uh one of my favorite uh wes anderson's it's been it's insane to me how after fantastic mr fox i've really kind of liked everything he's done i think i've grown into enjoying his style maybe mm. and before fantastic mr fox um i'm just I just haven't been on board. So I wonder if I need to go revisit some of his earlier stuff, but I just want more Rushmore stuff, man. That, that I, not only is that my favorite Wes Anderson movie, but that's one of my favorite movies. And well, it's certainly his most accessible movie. I would think it that's feels what I'm saying. I yeah. want more straightforward stuff. The characters are a little quirky, but it feels like the real world. And then everything he's made since then feels like it's not in the real world. And Correct. And I like that. I, I like that. Yeah, a lot of people do. Well, and I think there's a freshness to it for me is why I like it too. Like, you know, he's not, he is, he is almost the opposite of trying for immersion, right? Like he is, he's yes. thrown immersion out the door and is going, I'm, I'm doing something different. And, um, so to be able to find meaning and, uh, emotion in non-immersion is I think a really interesting experiment and it works for me. Um, but I know it doesn't work for everybody. So Asteroid City is my second, uh, small recommend. All right, that's that's. Uh, I've heard good things about this, and I think it's probably going to be good for the people who like Wes Anderson. Mm -hmm. And um, I may, I may, I don't know when I'll get to this. I think I told you in our other conversation <laughs> that I yes, I, it's I, in I, that I, second second list. I, it is in the second <laughs> list because I have just kind of stopped watching those movies. Uh, all right, my second small recommend this week: another film that I watched last week, uh, 2011, The Gray, starring Liam Neeson. Uh, this is on one of the movie channels because uh, it says with a premium subscription on Hulu, Roku, or Amazon, you can watch it. Um, that usually means it's on Showtime or Cinemax or something. Uh, the Gray is one of the most straightforwardly plotted movies I've ever loved watching. Um, what if a plane crashed in the absolute wilderness of Alaska, British Columbia, who knows where they are? And a pack of wolves decided to uh, pursue the survivors of the plane crash. That's the plot of the movie from beginning to end. Um, there is a mild trigger warning in the beginning. Liam Neeson's character, his wife has died, and he is the sharpshooter at an oil facility. He kills the wolves that approach the facility and endanger people that work there. Uh, and he sticks his gun in his mouth, but he does not pull the trigger. But that can still be triggering to people. So I wanted to let that out there. Uh, but it's basically what if Taken was in the wilderness against wolves instead of Romanian gangsters or whoever they are in Taken. Uh, and there's some pretty good solid performances from people you don't necessarily see a lot in movies like this. Uh, Dermot Mulroney is in this. Frank Grillo, who has been in some Marvel movies um, and is in Warriors, uh, doesn't often get a chance to show his dramatic side because he's so good at action. Um, but uh, and this has one of my favorite endings uh, of all time in movies, uh, and I don't really want to spoil it, even though it's a twelve-year-old movie. But uh, he may or may not fight a wolf one on one uh, <laughs> with broken glass between his knuckles. Um, anyway, um, the Gray. That's my second small recommend. Have you, you're familiar with this movie? I'm sure I love this it. movie. I think yeah. it's a great movie, um, and I think you're almost selling it short because I actually think there's a really powerful message in this movie about survival. And about mm. why we decide to survive, like how 
why we fight to survive. What is that survival instinct? What does it mean to us? What is what is valuable in there? What's not valuable in there? And you mentioned in comparison to Taken a little bit, the difference with this and Taken is Taken is the idea of fighting for someone else, for someone we love. And then mm. this is the idea of why do we fight for ourselves? Why do we, you know, what does survival uh, look like? There's so, even a character near the end who just gives up. He just mm -hmm. says, I'm Yes, done. that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's I'm, what I'm, I'm saying. Not, this movie this is very intentionally showing us different ways human beings decide to fight or decide not to fight for survival. Mm. And... Um, I think it's a it's a really powerful movie. So yeah, I Excellent. think it's well and well done. I think Liam Neeson's incredible in it. So yeah, he yeah. is has one yep. of the favorite lines that we overused in early sins videos, where he says something about over a billfold because somebody tries to steal a dead person's wallet, and he says, yeah. to "Liam Neeson, I'll make you." bleed out your ear i don't know i don't remember what he says um all right guys it's time for this week's big recommend i'm fine i'm fine it's just that you're so big it's so huge it's a good rule but this is bigger than rules it's bigger on the inside is it i noticed uh the fallout on max i watched this last night and it was my second viewing and it was my second time being gutted like a fish emotionally. I know some of you didn't make it through this movie from what I was seeing on Discord and I understand that absolutely. I did intentionally wait until summertime to discuss this movie so that nobody would have to send their kids to school. Um, sure. I think it's uh, would be even harder to watch in the school year. But this movie centers basically on Veda. She's a regular high school uh, girl, she's 16, and she goes to school one day. It's an absolutely normal day, and her little sister calls her and tells her that she's gotten her period. And um, it's kind of a sweet little conversation between sisters that you can tell right away that they have a, a pretty good relationship. Um, <clears throat> but she got excused from class to go to the bathroom, quote unquote, to take that call. And she <laughs> looks up at the bathroom and decides, yeah, I might as well pee while I'm here. Um, she doesn't say that, but she decides to go into the bathroom. In the bathroom is the prototypical, really popular girl in school, Mia, uh, who does dance videos on TikTok or Instagram or something, and who has two dads who are very rich and gone all the time. Uh, we don't learn all that right away. Uh, but um, they are both in this bathroom when the sound of gunfire erupts from the hallway. And it is harrowing uh we spend the entire attack in this bathroom hearing the screaming the running the banging the gunshots they hide in a stall together at one point somebody runs into the bathroom and they freak out and he immediately says i'm not the shooter and it's quentin uh, a classmate and he comes into the stall and hides with them uh, and tells them that his brother has just been shot uh in the hallway outside and it's a lot to take in um it's really hard to watch because this is happening regularly in this country and only this country. Um, initially, Veda's family seems more impacted than her because she just goes to a dead emotional place instantly. Uh, she just suppresses things. And it's clear that this is a loving family. Uh, later on in the movie, she will admit that my parents are good parents. <laughs> uh, I should probably be nicer to them. But she's, I can't imagine what this would feel like emotionally to go through. But she starts watching Mia's videos on Instagram. Uh, and Mia eventually invites her over uh, because as the movie will show you, they are forever bonded because of this experience together. Uh, there's no one who went through what they went through together other than Quentin. And they oddly bond pretty easily and quickly. Uh, and they find that they can make each other smile, share some of the same, <clears throat> like she says, Veda says, you have like terrible nightmares. And Mia sadly says, you have to be able to sleep to have nightmares. They decide to go to the funeral of Quentin's little brother. And then there's a really powerful scene where we see Veda put the, the funeral program or bulletin in a, in a box. And then we just see her keep putting more and more and more. I think that said, I don't remember the number of students that were killed in that attack. Um, but it's really sobering. One of the things this movie does extremely well is show you how the trauma grows after an event. And it's not just, oh, you were, you survived a school shooting. That must have been rough. It's also, you had to go to all these funerals and think about this over and over again. Your family is impacted in ways that 
personally from the outside, you know, other people wouldn't be able to know. Her little sister is trying so hard to connect to her and see life in her again. And it, it doesn't work. This, this actress playing the younger sister, this time through the movie, I realized how incredible she is. She doesn't have anywhere near the dialogue to convey what she conveys. She does it with her eyes. Um, and it's, it's just amazing. So Veda starts hanging out more with Mia. There's casual alcohol and drug use in this movie, which I think makes sense for people who have been through a traumatic event like this and have no parental supervision when they're at Mia's house. She does not go to her friend Nick's march. Nick is her friend we see early on in the beginning, uh, and his reaction to this shooting has been to become an activist. And he stages a, a gun control march and gives a speech, uh, and she's skipping it to hang out with Mia and drink wine. Later on, when she tries to watch that speech on YouTube, she can't even finish it. She's, she's no place to do any activism right now because she still hasn't dealt, you know, with any of the emotions from this trauma. So her parents decide if we're not, if we're not going to go to school, we want you to at least go see a therapist. And we get a nice, lovely Shailene Woodley uh, role here where she plays the therapist. And I want to take a moment to praise how the movie handles therapy, both in how the first interaction goes where Veda is closed off uh, and intentionally giving silly jokey answers she's not participating at all in this process and then the the session we see at the end of the movie where she has participated in this process and has seen growth the only caveat to my praising the therapy in this movie is that it shows a breakthrough session on the second session ever and that's not realistic to expect if you have trauma and you go to therapy it's going to take more than two sessions. But I think the scenes themselves, from my experience in doing therapy, uh, are really, really well done. And I think viewers will come away thinking therapy is less scary because of how it's portrayed. Uh, again, Shailene Woodley does a really, really good job with this. This movie does a couple of things that Roma does. Uh, that's my new favorite thing, where it shows us in one shot somebody having joy and somebody having pain. Uh, there's this shot where her little sister's in the background setting up her phone, trying to get this TikTok dance down perfect, oblivious to the fact that Veda's over here texting a friend about how many funerals they've been to in the last week. Uh, and it's just powerful to me because we, we often don't know what somebody's going through, even when we love them and live in the same house as them. We don't always know uh, they dabble in weed, uh, which is a fairly funny scene, but it's also haunting. It's hard for me to laugh at some of this stuff because like later on she takes ecstasy and, and I don't think I'm necessarily supposed to laugh, but it is played like a typical comedy would play it where she slides down the stairs while she's on E or she falls into the pool and she's stoned. But I think we're supposed to also remember that this is a coping mechanism and it's in no way a healthy one. Um, and she dangerously goes weed, marijuana, ecstasy in a really fast amount of time. Anyway, she ends up sending uh, Quentin some crazy texts when she is uh, on ecstasy. He tells her the next day. Uh, so they decide uh, she invites him over to watch a movie. Uh, and there's another thing the movie does really well here that it doesn't doesn't spell everything out for you. Um, they're watching a movie, they're having fun, and Quentin suddenly says, I gotta go. He gets a text on his phone, he's like, family stuff. And I don't think the movie explains that anymore. He just goes, and she's like, okay, yeah, don't think anything about it. Um, because well, Quentin is here to remind us that people need time after an event like this. Uh, later on, she will try to kiss him. And I think he clearly likes her, but he says, I am no place to be in a relationship right now. She sadly takes that personally. Um, it's hard not to feel rejected when you kiss somebody and they say, I don't really want to do this. She also has a fling with Mia one night where the movie doesn't show you anything but them kissing, but later on she will say they had sex. And again, I think kids that are 16 are already exploring love and those emotions and attraction. And I think a trauma event like what they've been through, which bonds them so tight so fast, I think it would leave her searching 
how to express those, how to feel those, how to live with these positive feelings that in this negative time. Um, throughout a lot of this, her friend Nick is texting her, calling her. This is the guy that organizes the marches, and she's she's not responding to him. And uh, one night when she, the night that they have sex, stays at Mia's and comes home hungover the next morning, and Nick had already called her parents because he was worried about her. She goes to Nick's house and says, you didn't have to rat on me, dude. And I'm glad that Nick gets a moment to put her in her place and explain that, you know, he was genuinely concerned that she might not be safe. She starts ignoring texts from Mia at this point because she's embarrassed. She doesn't know if she should be embarrassed about the tryst. And then we get to the scene that breaks me um, where uh, Amelia, Veda's little sister, comes into her room at night and curls up in bed next to her. And she says that she knows she's to blame for Veda almost dying because of the timing of her texts about her period that day at school. And Veda says, no, uh, you're not to blame. And, and Amelia says, then why have you been so mad at me? And I had to pause it for a good 10 minutes and be emotional and just experience that because through her eyes, you now, re you now see every other interaction from the beginning of the movie through Amelia's eyes. And you realize that trauma breeds trauma and it, grows like a, like a weed and infects the people close to you. Um, the scene ends lovely, though, because Amelia says, you were the first person I thought of in that moment. You're my favorite person in the whole world, and you always will be, even after I get married. Uh, and it's a lovely scene that, that really sets the tone and begins the healing for her. Her dad then takes her to a hilltop, uh, and they do that thing that happens in movies where you're convinced to scream out loud all your troubles and he doesn't care if she swears um and they both say some pretty honest stuff uh, screaming into the wind and then we see her back at therapy and now she has begun to feel her emotions she's allowed herself to experience them ups and downs and this is the first step to healing but then the final scene reminds you that healing is a really long process um she goes to Mia's dance studio because they've reconciled and they're going to meet up and she's clearly excited and a news alert comes across her phone about a school shooting in Ohio and 12 kids are dead and Veda has a panic attack and we only hear most of it and the movie ends because that's reality. That's The movie doesn't sugarcoat anything. The movie is just showing us our country as it exists right now and what's wild is that in the movie that's what, two years old? It's like a month and a half between those two shootings. And in real life now, sometimes there's not even days between school shootings in America. And I feel like the movie deserves a bigger audience because it could change some minds. Uh, minds that don't currently have the empathy for students and their families who have this fear uh, every single day. I have a lot of notes that I want to get to and point out certain moments, but that's my recap, Aaron. How do you feel about the fallout? Uh, I really, really like this movie. Um, I uh, had written down many of the things that you've already touched on, uh, whether it be um, the uh, the scene with the sister, which, by the way, is set up perfectly in that first phone call. It is one of the most, one of the sweetest sister, sister, like older sister, younger sister conversations I've I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Um, and it felt authentic, like so much of this movie does. I feel like this movie feels very authentic. The, uh, the relationship between the, the two girls, uh, by the way, one of whom uh, is, I mean, Jenna Ortega has a lot of the, you know, the heat uh, in this after this doing Wednesday and, and so many other things. Uh, Maddie Ziegler is the other uh, yep. girl, and I found it really interesting in that she says some things that kind of apply to her own life. There was something about, you know, uh, being in dance from a young age. And, uh, and then at one point, uh, I think Veda says something about, you know, I'll be your stage mom or whatever. Well, she got her start on, you know, Dance Moms. Literally, Dance Moms was the show where Maddie Ziegler came to, I didn't to prominence. Know and, uh, and then she was in, I became more aware of her. I, I didn't watch that show, but I came more aware of her when uh, she started being in... Was it Sia? I think it was. It was. It was either Sia or Gaga. I think it was Sia had a lot of videos, and, and Maddie Ziegler was always kind of the the uh, dancing stand-in for uh, for Sia. Just some incredible stuff. She's an incredible dancer. She really is. 
Um, and I think she's doing good uh, acting work uh, here as well. So that was yeah. really, really interesting to see. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned the TikTok going on in the background. I definitely had that noted. Uh, it's such a beautiful way to, and the movie does this often where it visualizes how others are trying to interact around you, but you just are in your own space, your own world, your own trauma. And, and I think the movie does that really, really well. Um, the, the fact that this is, is it Megan Park, I think directed this, it's a directorial debut kind of blew yeah. my mind. It's really good work. Like it, it's a real, not only understanding of how to tell a story, which there is a story being told here, but even more has this clear understanding of what it's trying to do. Um, and the only negatives I had for this movie were intentional. Like the things that I like didn't necessarily connect to or didn't like about it, I felt, and I'll just uh, briefly express those, uh, I like a movie that's a little more willing to get deep and underneath the stuff. And this movie it doesn't do that in the same way that I usually experience it, which is like, uh, these heavy dialogue scenes really like the therapy sessions are I loved the therapy sessions in this movie. I thought they were a real good example, but those are prime opportunities for what another movie might do, which is to really let her dig in and have a deep catharsis about what's, you know, been going on. Um, in this movie, very purposefully and intentionally doesn't want to do that because what it's saying is that this is a lifelong process, that this isn't solved in a day, that this isn't, in fact, the ending is the biggest example of this, you know, saying that this is something that does not have that big catharsis. Oh, you know, okay, here's, you know, how everything is okay. And I didn't expect the movie to say everything was okay, but there were times I was feeling a little bit of like, I, I want to go, I want to go deeper. I, I want to explore what she's feeling a little bit more instead of just experiencing it. But that's not what the movie wants. The sure. movie wants you to just experience it. And I think that's valuable. I think that's really interesting and valuable. Um, so yeah, I thought, I thought it was, was really well done. Um, there's plenty of other things. Uh, I want to bring up another one that you brought up was the, um, the swearing scene with the dad. I thought it was so amazing when she was like dad you're we're not even swearing anymore <laughs> I thought that was so cool yeah. i just yeah. it's like because that was never really the point the point was really to say the things you're feeling and i just i thought that that was that was really beautiful um one of one example of things the movie doesn't ever delve into because it doesn't feel like it has to is where are maddie ziegler's dads like like yeah. like we never meet them we nope. never hear like you know, we know they're in Europe, I guess, but we don't really hear, like, did they know what happened? We don't even know that if they know what happened. And I think the movie is purposefully, again, having us experience things from Veda's, you know, perspective. It's the but... opposite end of the spectrum, right? Veda's right. parents are loving, and they're there, they're present, but they don't know what to do. And Mia's parents aren't even there. That's right. like, her trauma is going to be a lot worse because of that. But I kind of um, wanted, I, I wanted to know, like, I wanted at least a, a, a one line of dialogue that was sure. like, you know, sure. here's here's what they said about it. And can you believe they were that yeah, callous? Yeah, they're at the NATO or, summit. They can't leave. Something like that. Yeah, like, there's something that even allows us to draw that distinction even greater because their their voice is missing, whatever that voice is. And so it's just a lot of interpretation. But again, I think that's intentional. So, like, I don't have a huge problem with it. Um, but I was curious about it. Um, yeah, I have plenty other I can talk to, but you uh, talk about, but go ahead. You, you pull something out. The movie expects you to pay attention, I think, to get the full effect. And there mm -hmm. are two moments I'm going to talk about, uh, that underline that when she goes to take the phone call and she's outside in the hallway about to go into the bathroom, there is a backpack hooded student that walks behind her. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure that's the shooter. Um, because it's not very long before the shooting starts after that. And I didn't notice that the first time through because I didn't know it was about to happen. Um, the other moment is uh, halfway through the film when Julie Bowen, her mother, is trying to get her to go to therapy or have that conversation. Mm -hmm. She says something and Veda says, oh, I already, I already did that. And her mom says, well, what would I do without you? And the camera pans to Veda's face as she processes that phrase is never going to be the same to me now 
mm-hmm. because I could have yeah. I could have been gone. I could have been gone. But there's no yeah. dialogue about it. There's right. no. It's it's a it's only an eye lift. She looks up from her phone when her mom says that. But I feel like the movie is being very intentional there, saying this is just one of the millions of ways this trauma is going to impact the rest of their lives. Um, yeah, I just uh, okay. Uh, my first note: All hail the ninety-minute movie. Um, <laughs> Sure, because we don't we don't get uh, enough of those. I think the panic and anxiety stuff portrayed in this movie is really well done, um, and I I think it's actually unsettling more at the end that we can't see her; we can only hear her. Um, mm-hmm. But those felt like they were written by somebody who's had those experiences. Um, she's waking up with nightmares, doing panic breathing. There's a lot about this movie, mental health wise, that it just gets right. I love the, the line where she's she's doing that whole spiel. She's stoned, uh, but she ends with, "Can I trust this meme?" Um, <laughs> it's a very funny rant. Um, the movie the movie is not without humor. No, it, it, it doesn't lead humor. with it at all, but it it allows it to be part of coping mechanisms that, and yeah exactly that's uh, that yeah. is life like the other day friday i had an all-timer of a bad day but it was just because a bunch of different stuff went wrong yeah. all coincidentally and i'm i'm angry i'm stomping around the house my wife is not talking to me because she knows that i'm not in a good conversation place right and something on the tv i think it was friends i think it was something joey said and i laughed and I, my, my brain went, why are you laughing? You're angry. Uh, but it's just, it's a human impulsive response to life. Um, and that's what, I, the movie lets you feel all of the emotions. Well, it's definitely a both things can be true kind of movie. Like it, it definitely plays in that ground of, you know, the things that we think are contradictory. We need to kind of get over this. There, there have been literal cases that have put people away in jail because they didn't seem sad enough about a traumatic event or whatever. And we, I think we are so predisposed by media to like, this is how you're supposed to react to trauma. And we just need to understand there are so many different ways that the people react to trauma. And this movie gives you a few, right? Mm -hmm. Like me is drinking. Um, Quentin is, kind of being mature and responsible emotionally um veda's you know suppressing all of her emotions uh, that denial stage stuff is really interesting to me when uh veda's in the the uh the denial stage it's it's one of those things where i think it kind of comes to a head where she won't use the restroom at school when she goes uh, back and she steps on a can and it shocks her so much that she pees herself and it is one of the most, like up until that point, she's been she's been really trying to convince herself she's okay. And I feel like even at that point, even having done all that, she's still desperately trying to be okay. Yep. Instead of like really dealing with, and I just, I don't know that I've ever seen that so clearly that, that idea of, um, you know, even confronted with how obvious it is that I am not okay. I'm going to ignore it. You know, I'm going to con- continue to be in denial about it. I thought it was really powerful and and led to some interesting stuff later. So, yeah. first day back at school, the first day she goes back to school, what are they doing? Active shooter training. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course she couldn't use the bathroom. The school mm-hmm. itself won't let her forget it. I have places that exist in the world that I won't go to right now because yeah. they're associated with some kind of trauma. Um, and that was very believable to me. She got all the way to the door. She yeah. thought she was okay. She thought she could do it. And she just couldn't couldn't go through that door. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, do we have a super secret double feature this week? Aaron. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Be very, very quiet. Secret. What secret? Our dirty little secret. I tell you something I've never told anyone. So I've been kind of paying attention to some of the choices that the chat's been throwing out uh, for the double feature. I like all those choices. I thought about some of them. Mass was one I definitely thought about. Um, certainly topic-wise, it deals with the same kind of thing. Uh, I saw that mentioned. But nobody, I thought, mentioned this one. And I just feel like this is kind of perfect. Um, I think the double feature for this uh, is Ordinary People. Um, oh. I I think this has that same idea of trauma in an authentic family and how you deal with it and how you don't deal with it um and i was blown away by this movie uh when i saw it for many of the same reasons i enjoy uh the fallout and it has to do with how authentically it portrays grief uh and trauma so jeremy have you seen this one i have yeah in fact it was my uh Super secret double feature for uh, the Artifice Girl. Oh, uh, I actually gave two that day, um, but that was one of them. Uh, that's right. And you're right. Uh, in terms of uh, traumatic themes uh, and how they impact the family and how they impact people differently. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, everybody should watch Ordinary People. It's way ahead of its time in terms of mental health and therapy mm -hmm. and treating. That and that stuff was the other part. The respect. therapy stuff was the other part. The reason I, I really thought of this movie, and I think it's a. Uh, uh, Timothy Hutton, that kind of is the the stand-in for our our character um, for this one, who who goes through a lot of the stuff. But you've got the parent stuff that's in mm -hmm. uh, this one. There's some very interesting similarities, although not identical, between the moms in these two movies. Um, by the way, I, I thought the the scene where she opened up and was completely honest with her mom. She has a scene with everybody in the in the family in the fallout. But the scene where she was uh, honest with her mom and uh, oh yeah, her reaction to that was uh, was was really really great. It was the girls. It was with the girls, so I can't get pregnant at least. <laughs> she walks out of the room. <laughs> um, yeah, this movie. I kept thinking about uh, spontaneous while I was watching this movie. Mm. Spontaneous is, I think, uh, sort of an allegory for school shootings and how we process that trauma. It mm -hmm. plays much more into the horror humor angle. So it may be too jarring to be a double feature, but it did remind me of that movie several times throughout. Uh, there uh, was one other thing I did want to mention before we move on. I just there are so many little touches in the fallout, and I just wanted to mention a couple of them. Okay. W one of them is when she's goes to visit uh, her new friend for the first time, Mia, for the first time, and Mia's waiting by the door. Mm. And but when she knocks, Mia like takes a couple steps as if she wasn't waiting by the door, like consciously doesn't want to appear, you know, too, too eager, eager or whatever. Yeah. There's like all these little touches like that. Um, at one point, uh, they're making fun of each other for the things they're saying. She's like, did you just say stoner thoughts? And I don't know why that that yeah. uh, made me laugh uh, so much. And just the little sister's initial, like, no chill reactions at the dinner table. Like, the, right after it's happened and the little sister is just like cracking you know, like questions yep. and jokes and just like literally has no idea how to interact with trauma because yep. she's so young. I just thought all that stuff was handled uh, really, really well. So I wanted to throw that out there. As yeah, well. I mean, so. I don't know and I don't necessarily want to find out, but somebody right. associated with this movie has probably been through a trauma very similar to the one that happens in mm -hmm. this movie. Um, yeah. Because it is also very authentic. Um, all right, Aaron, you are the picker for the next week's homework mm. what movie are we gonna be watching uh you can pick your movies and you can pick your nose but you can't pick your friends movies um i'm going with uh double indemnity for our big Ooh. recommend uh next week Ooh. um this is a big time classic if you want to go back in time we're going back in time Mm -hmm. uh th this is man 1944 i think so what like 80 years uh ago wow. um so uh it is in an incredible film though really one of the the first of that you know noir genre that's been 
done over and over again, parodied many of times, uh, but there's something really special about this movie. Barbara Stanwyck, Fred McMurray. If you only know Fred McMurray from Disney movies, get ready. Um, Cause he was actually a legit amazing actor uh, before he was an admittedly amazing actor in the Disney movies sure. uh, as well. Um, so yeah, some really good stuff here. Excited to go over this one with you. Have you seen it before? I have not. Um, one of my greatest joys about this show is that it, forces me to watch movies that are on either of my stacks of shame when mm -hmm. I might otherwise look at that stack and see friends on the TV and just keep playing friends on the TV. So this is going to be the fourth or fifth, maybe even sixth movie on Recotopia that I have nice. not seen prior to the show. And that is just me mirroring what we hope the audience is experiencing with this show is mm -hmm. that being exposed to a film that you haven't seen before that has good quality this one appears to be only available to rent or buy yes uh, which is okay we're not always going to land on a movie that is free to stream um but uh i'm excited porter halls in this um he's in something else that i just watched uh, but he's in miracle on 34th street mm -hmm. all right so i like that double indemnity noir crime and it's an hour and 47 minutes all hail the 90 to 110 minute <laughs> 107 movie. minute movie all hail um, the 107 minute movie all right well we have a few minutes to get to a couple of questions right so on. when there the chat has devolved into more sin city talk um <laughs> so uh let's do some questions question question i got something to say I am listening. If we ever get that choreography movement category at the Oscars, what would be the first scenes you think of? First of all, let me just say adding categories to the Oscars should have happened five five years ago at least. Like it's it's ridiculous that they they continue to be stubborn when they change the categories. They combined the sound categories a while ago. Like what what are we being so precious about? Yep. And by the way, this category existed before at the Oscars. They yep. they actually got rid of it at one point. Yep. Um, so I am fully for uh adding stunt choreography whatever kind of categories as yep. far this specific question um what would be the first scenes i think of uh the entirety of the movie rrr but especially the not to not to dance scene um is absolutely astounding but even the action stuff would fit into this idea of choreography the way that movie is uh, choreographed is insane. So that's the first thing that came to uh, to my mind as a movie deserving of this category. Well, I'm similar. My first, very first thought was 1917. Even though sure. it's not technically a one shot, there is so much performance that is based on movement and choreography to pull those emotions out of you, particularly to that shot, that famous shot where the camera's pulling back as the guy runs mm -hmm. at you and the soldiers are all going right past him uh and i also thought of uh mission impossible six or i guess now seven i haven't seen it mm -hmm. yet but i said all year after number six that mccrory deserved a best director nomination because just the scope of that spectacle and pulling that off um and you know tom cruise would probably end up winning if they ever do a stuntman category you know what's going to happen tom cruise will get nominated because he does his own stunts and he'll win over an actual stuntman <laughs> I think it would be I think it would they would give it to the stunt coordinator actually I think it would be for the entire movie for stunts like it wouldn't be necessarily like best individual stunt okay. or best stunt performer it would be you know like casting or makeup like where it's like the person who's in charge of that would win the Oscar for Interesting. that movie. all right Let's, I would guess I bet Tom Cruise would still find a way to do that <laughs> might. Uh, what is your favorite throwaway line uh i immediately thought of the hudsucker proxy for this category and it could be a million different lines uh from the hudsucker proxy uh the the board member when they're talking about the hula hoop and their you know his idea for it one of the board members just says like in the midst of this cacophony of questions like somebody says does it break and another board member says it better break eventually uh and i just <laughs> Uh, when, uh, like the stuff that Buzz says on the elevator in that movie, uh, when he's doing like the rhyming and he's rhyming everybody's name with the floor that they want to go to, uh, and he's like, you know, uh, Mr. Levin 47, he's like actually 46. He's like, walk down. Yeah. Uh, cause like the <laughs> rhyming is more important yes. than actually what floor he needs to go to. 
the uh, the time where Amy Archer is like a face that only a mother could love, and then the throwaway uh, line on payday uh, just <laughs> just slays me. That movie has su- such great throwaway stuff. It's beautiful. It so, really does. Yeah. It's like a throwback to those really talky movies. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, uh, I'm gonna go with uh, Batman Begins. Uh, probably my favorite line in the entire trilogy is when we go to the docks where Batman will eventually uh, attack the drug workers and put um, the mob guy on the spotlight. Um, (laughs) The mob guy's in the car with the crooked cop. The crooked cop asks him, you know, where are these drugs going or whatever? And the mob boss goes, don't burden yourself with the secrets of scary people. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's, no one has, I guess his brother probably wrote these scripts, but in the next movie in dark Knight, Eric Roberts does the same kind of thing when he's in the nightclub, Batman is attacking and the pretty girl Mm -hmm. goes, we can't hear you talk. And he goes, what makes you think I want to hear you talk? (laughs) Uh, Anyway. um, Yeah. I like that question. We could probably come back to that question. The chat has some good ones. Um, no ticket. I'm hungry. Let's get a taco. Those are both from Slab. Um, mm-hmm. Sarcasm is a foreign language to you, isn't it? Lion King one and a half. That's a great movie, by the way. That's an under underrated gem, The Lion King one and a half. It may just wow. because I watched it with my boys all the time when they were growing up. But yeah, interesting fun stuff. I've not seen that one. Yeah. Uh, I also see uh, Oh, the World's End. Martin Freeman finally says, what the fuck? And Simon Pegg follows up with what the fuck. Uh, and somehow I was just reminded of Mission Impossible 4 when Tom Cruise is trying to get back to the hotel room. <laughs> and Jeremy Renner is standing in the hotel room and goes, rope's not long enough. <laughs> Tom Cruise goes, no shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, one more question, and then I'm going to get a sandwich. Um, name a movie-going experience where something happened in the physical auditorium around you that resulted in you either missing some of the film or kept you from fully immersing and enjoying it. Uh, when I went to see Tim Burton's Dumbo oh um, in the finale scene, the big finale of Dumbo, uh, where the circus is getting destroyed and you know Dumbo's flying and all that, the pre-roll advertisements started. Um, and it's interesting because it was one of those screens that has the, the consecutive cameras, right? It uses two cameras to, uh, to shoot. And so one of the cameras was still playing the Dumbo finale. The other was playing the pre-roll advertisements. So they were like over each other. And uh, it was uh, very distracting. Um, but somehow, but somehow made that movie better, you know, like, uh, <laughs> it's just one of those things. Also what happened, uh, during that, they shut everything down, tried to like reboot it. And when everything was shut down, they still had the projector lights. There was just, you know, nothing like a static image on the screen. And so I did shadow puppets for the, the kids nice. in the auditorium. Cause I was in the back row. So, I, and I'm tall enough. So I stood up and did shadow puppets, uh, while they were trying to get you things. Just reminded me of a time that Josh Childs and I went on a triple date to see Romeo and Juliet with Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh-huh. And we convinced Josh to go up to the front. It was a sold out show. So Josh went up to the front of the auditorium to do trivia. <laughs> And he asked, does anybody know what sitcom Leonardo DiCaprio was on? And somebody goes, somebody yelled, whichever one it was. Growing pains. Uh, yeah, somebody yells, growing pains, sit down. And he basically <laughs> came back with his head. Uh, but that was before the movie started. Um, Amazing. I uh, was a guitar player in a wedding in Detroit, Michigan, in mm. college. And um, was otherwise not very familiar with most of the people. And so after the rehearsal on the dinner... I decided to see a movie and I went to, uh, I know what you did last summer. I still know what you did last summer. Um, sold out show Friday night and a knife fight broke out oh. on the other side of the auditorium. Okay. Prompting me to leave and go back to the hotel and be thankful that I was alive. Um, those are probably the biggest ones. I do want to tell one story. It's not a movie auditorium. It was my sixth grade classroom. Uh, okay. And the teacher was showing us Camelot, which is not a movie you should show children in, who are sixth graders. And it was never shown to sixth grade again. And there's a romantic scene where a man nuzzles some bosoms and <laughs> a kid in the back row <laughs> stands up and yells, bury it. Um, <laughs> and he got suspended. And I have never forgotten that instance. Bury um, it. Oh my goodness. It's <laughs> exactly what a sixth grader would say in that instance and not an actual 
person. Um, Amazing. All right. Thank you, everybody in the chat. Um, we appreciate your input and your lively commentary, even when it devolves into Sin City talk. Um, <laughs> let's see. A couple here I want to pull out real quick. When I saw Pacific Rim 2, I had to tell three teenagers to stop talking. Mm -hmm. um when i turn around the dude is taking off his shirt and the other two are taking pictures of him that is frightening <laughs> that escalated quickly uh i was watching guy Ritchie's the covenant and my mom called <laughs> <laughs> the film burned when i saw the master and harry potter the half-blood prince yeah film burns are no fun uh group of people behind me at the grudge screamed all five times the ghost boy was outside the elevator window yeah i can't watch horror movies with a live audience it's just mm. impossible all right everybody double indemnity is your homework next week and uh we will be at the usual day and time and uh, i hope everybody has a great day and great rest of your week we'll see you next time all right see you then bye, bye. part of the live show by being a member of the sin club at patreon at patreon.com slash cinema sins chat with us on the cinema sins discord at discord.gg slash cinema sins or cinema sins twitter at cinema sins and email any comments or questions to recotopia at cinema sins.com that's r-e-c-o-t-o-p-i-a at cinema sins.com What's up? What's up? What's up? Hosty host, host with the most. I love how it says the host may add you to the broadcast at any time. <laughs> Be ready. But Be it's ready. Not guaranteed. You never know what that crazy host is gonna do. You never knew. Never. Never knew. Never knew. Never knew. Knew. Never knew. Never nude. I uh, had vague memories of Arrested Development when we were in Vegas when we went to see the Blue Man Group uh because he, oh because he tries to be uh, part of the blue man group yeah he blewed himself we gotta go back kate <laughs> we gotta go back there's a show i can't go back to have you gone back to lost oh heck yeah really how do you get through the filler episodes where background people suddenly have their whole story <laughs> told uh, like that stuff would drive me crazy it, uh, yeah certainly uh it's it's crazy drivable um it it's really clear that they were flailing like mm -hmm. during those those times where they're like we know where we want to go and we don't have the control to go ahead and get there because yeah. the studio doesn't want to let this show die um so yeah, it was a groundbreaking show for letting the creator decide how many seasons to do. Like before that, you know, the studios yep. just would milk their shows as long now as they could. Now it's much more common, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, Vince Gilligan did Better Call Saul exactly as long as he yep. wanted to. Um, and then just turned it off. Yep. Yeah, those days are probably over, though. That's probably not going to last too much longer. I don't know, man. I There's a place for both serialized content which is where we've moved primarily to like when you think of prestige tv it's about these shows that have overarching themes for their characters they're basically you know long movies uh yep. like really really long movies but there is a place for just like i like hanging out with these people like i don't need to know like every episode doesn't have to uh, have to deal with some deep thing they're going through or connect to their story arc or tell some greater mystery or story. Um, just what's their adventure this week? You know, Seinfeld is a primary example of a show that was proud to be about nothing, which yeah. is, it's just like, I like being with these people and seeing what funny things happen when they're together, you know? And it's yeah. like, we don't have a ton of that anymore. And it's, the, I think it's needed, you know? How many more of these are they going to make? Have they made an action movie? That was great. <laughs> it's Netflix. Yes, I'm talking like okay. I gave them underground six underground. Uh -huh. and I gave them another one that I don't remember. Yeah, uh, but I haven't seen any raving reviews about the films being great. I think I've seen negative reviews for almost every Netflix action movie except the extraction ones, and even those reviews are praising the action or the one shot, mm -hmm. not necessarily the film um i would say you're looking at uh did you ever watch triple frontier 
Yes. Um, yes. But for various reasons, I don't remember it. Okay. Um, and that's probably the best one from what I know. I know but, it has its detractors. I really enjoyed it. I think it's uh, it's really clever and interesting and fun. Um, they did that one with The Rock and Gal Gadot and oh, Ryan yeah. Reynolds globetrotting. That was supposed to be terrible. Yeah, that wasn't great. So what, what, I just feel like this is... Was important. The Harder They Fall? Was that Netflix? Um, yes, but I would not... I would probably call that Western... Yeah, but it's definitely it Western action. action. I mean, you know, like it's... yes. And that movie's great. Um, so thanks for sinking my <laughs> Uh Gunpowder Milkshake was another one. I don't know if you ever uh, saw that one. Gunpowder Milkshake. Feels like a name of a movie I would recognize. <laughs> it, is, it does. Oh, there are press screenings, Jeremy. I just don't live in a market big enough for them to care to give me press screenings. My nearest press screenings are three hours away. I get invites, but I'm not driving six hours around trip. So even the Mission Impossible one you went to, you drove three hours for that? No, the Mission Impossible one, I was in Nashville. So I was able to say, hey, I'm going to be in Nashville. Um, oh, and we're a bigger market. And, you're, and you press have press screenings. screenings in Nashville. We uh, just don't have press screenings. I here. didn't realize that. Well, you need to move. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's settled then. I'll let my wife and my kids know. And... Uh, <laughs> We'll be heading somewhere. We'll be heading to somewhere who does press screenings. There's an arc on Friends, which is happening right now on my screen, where Ross marries this English woman. I love that you've uh, got Friends on right now while, while we're recording. That's amazing. Friends is always on uh, in the background until Seinfeld comes on on a different channel. Um, <clears throat> but Ross marries this English woman, and it's like rapid. He's known her for days or what mm -hmm. have you. And then they end up you know, breaking up and divorcing, and Ross doesn't know what to do. Uh, and he's like, I need advice. And Joey goes, if you want my advice, you're not going to like it. You got married too fast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I love Friends, even though it's so problematic. It just gets worse, though. The longer the we better, go, the more... The better I, I become as a human, the worse right, yeah. gets the more, Well, I think, I think even more than us, particularly as humans, I think culture continues to evolve and figure out, you know, how, how we've been terrible and... You know, like I want to recommend Wonder Boys on this show eventually mm -hmm. with Michael Douglas. I think it's a fantastic movie, but there's pretty careless treatment verbally of a transgender person mm -hmm. in that movie. And they use a term that I'm pretty sure is a slur. Mm -hmm. uh, and when that movie came out in the early aughts, you know, culture had not matured enough to see that and, and call it out. Anyway, well, one of those things where if I recommend it, I'm going to have to do a caveat of some sort. Yeah, it's always interesting how to balance that stuff. I think, you know, for for culture, it's so difficult to grow sometimes because privilege does two things, right? The, the privilege uh, allows people in power not to realize that something is hurtful because it's not hurtful to them, right? So right. if it's not hurtful to me, I'm not necessarily feeling the impact of something that's hurtful to somebody else. Um, and so it allows for uh, sustained ignorance, right? And then mm. simultaneously, it also allows for those to be the people who are telling the stories, those to be the people who are creating things. So like it has this one-two punch of change being a very difficult and long process. Um, and we all hopefully continue to do better at figuring out empathy and figuring out how not to you know, how to look outside of our privilege and, and to be able to experience what other people are experiencing. It's like everyone has pain and trauma mm -hmm. and you either turn that into empathy or you turn it into anger. Mm -hmm. And sure. it's hard to go from, I used to say, I knew a guy who was recently divorced, who everybody said they had just been madly in love. And mm -hmm. he was so angry at this woman inappropriate ring tones on his phone for when she would call and mm. just the way he would talk about her. And I decided it, it, at that time in my life that love and hate are flip sides of the same oh, yeah. coin. Yeah. Same, the same, it go, they come from the same place or passion. Uh, anyway, Correct. I was just, they're not, I, they're not opposites. They are the, 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 uh, they're the same thing channeled differently, right? Yes. Yes. The opposite of yes. love and hate is apathy. Right. Like that's yeah, not that's having the opposite. Any, yeah. 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 yeah that, so that was the first time I'd come into 
like really close contact with like a bitter divorcee um you know because in my head growing up divorce was rare enough Mm -hmm. where i lived that i just assumed you know well everybody still you know likes each other still Mm -hmm. pleasant to each other Mm -hmm. and i'm probably more often the case that it's the opposite of that he was so bitter i don't think he is anymore but yeah yeah their love turned to hate like that we're not on the same team anymore fuck you any chatters today hey we got chatters we got chatters Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park